Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald. As far as I can see, I always want to get in the Irish team. And that should be every young player's dream and ambition in this country. And if you're playing in a place where you're not going to get the opportunities in the big games, that they're the ones that get you picked. They are the ones, the Champions Cup games are the ones that get you picked. You need to be playing in a team and starting in a team for those games. It's as simple as that if you want to play in the Irish team. Every week on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by Professor Anne-Marie O'Dwyer chatting all things the psychiatry of cancer. I want to say that it's very common to be very distressed, to have a very prominent psychological response to cancer, that they are not alone, that lots of other people feel in that way and that it's important for them to have information. Information is power, but it has to be the right information. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. If you like the Indo Daily, you can follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today on the Indo Daily, murder in Odessa, the Irish priest, the Apache Native American, and the 41 year old cold case. In 1981, a Limerick priest was found dead in a Texas motel just four days before Christmas. The corner of 2nd and Belmont Street in Odessa, Texas, is where the Sand and Sage Motel once stood in December 1981. It was here that Father Patrick Ryan was found murdered in a hotel room. Now he was found naked, bound and beaten. And Father Patrick Ryan didn't stand a chance. He hailed from Dune in Limerick and when an Apache Native American was jailed for his murder in 1983, it was assumed the case was closed. But now the case is being reopened after police chief Mike Gerke is questioning some of the evidence used to convict an Odessa man. But in a twist of events, new evidence has found that James Harry Reyes, the man accused, sentenced and now free, is and always has been innocent. A Texas court will now decide whether to hold a hearing on the new evidence while a cold case detective has been assigned to the case of Father Patrick Ryan. The murder is once again a cold case. Reyes rightfully wants his name cleared. But the question still remains, who killed Father Patrick Ryan? I'm Siobhan McGuire and joining me today to talk about this very tangled Texan murder mystery is Mike Hall, an executive editor at Texas Monthly. Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. Now, on this side of the pond, the story is being discussed at the moment because it involves the gruesome murder of an Irish priest. But at the heart of all of this is a man, an Apache Native American, who has been fighting to clear his name for four decades. That's absolutely right. Yes, he's from a a reservation in the northern part of uh, New Mexico. His name is James Reyes. James Harry Reyes. In 1983, he was convicted of this crime. But we might rewind a little bit back to 1981, Mike. Um, and you have, you know, the case of this Catholic uh, priest. And, and priests were revered in, you know, the state of Texas at that time. And he... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and he goes missing, Mike. And and then what happens? Well, the um, the priest went missing a few days before... 
uh, Christmas. He didn't show up for Christmas Eve service. He was a beloved priest, by the way, in this uh, Denver city, which is a little tiny town out in West Texas, out in the oil fields. Uh, he had a very uh, Hispanic um, congregation, and Hispanics are mostly Catholic, so they they were devoted to him. They adored him. And he was a very caring, very compassionate guy. And he didn't show up for Christmas Eve services. So uh, nobody knew where he was. And his body had been discovered a few days earlier, um, but they didn't identify him until after Christmas. And he, he was found in a, uh, a shoddy uh, West Texas motel where, where uh, prostitutes and bad business was always happening, and they found his body there. And, uh, you know, of course, it's 1981, Mike, and people didn't have uh, mobile phones or cell phones, um, as you would call them. And so there was no way of really making contact with um, with Father Ryan uh, or finding out what had happened to him. And then this, as you say, this um, unidentified body is discovered in uh, in a motel. And I, I went through some of the, the cuttings here in our national newspapers at the time. Um, and it's... Uh, They state Father Patrick Ryan, 50, was found nude, beaten and bound in a Texas motel 80 miles from the diocese where he worked. Right. Yeah, he was he was uh, he was found in Odessa, which is a relatively I mean, it's a city, whereas his diocese was a tiny town called Denver City. So he was found, yes, very pretty, pretty far from home. Yes. And then we have an investigation, naturally. And um, you had some details in in your your very well written article in Texas Monthly uh, that goes into quite a lot of detail as to why Father Ryan might have been in that particular motel room. Now, I I don't have access to any of that information. So, if you're comfortable telling me what you know, um, Mike, that would be great. Well, uh, apparently, I mean. The father was uh, in the closet, as we say here in America, that he was gay and he had a a habit of picking up hitchhikers, men hitchhiking. This is how he first met uh, James Reyes. He picked him up hitchhiking. uh, James Reyes, the, the town of Denver City is close to the border with New Mexico. And James was a roustabout, which is a man who works in the oil fields, but he was unemployed and he went was going west across the border to Hobbs which is a little town near Denver City and he was picked up by Father Ryan and apparently Father Ryan would pick up young men and then as he did with James said hey let's go to a bar and talk so they went to a bar and they hung out for several hours drinking beer and talking and James was a lonely guy he was he was in the closet as a homosexual did not feel comfortable being a homosexual at all and found he didn't have a lot of friends. And Father Ryan was this very compassionate, very caring man. And they wound up hanging out. And James thought he had a friend. And he actually saw Father Ryan several times over the next few days, next few weeks. Um, And, you know, it, it ultimately wound up with them having a a homosexual experience that that James said was unwelcome, um, and that led to 
the very next day, Father Ryan was murdered, and that's how James was called in by the cops. Right. And so the the tracing of James was back to, uh, was it a backpack that was discovered in in the motel room? Or was it um, when the car was discovered and and James's fingerprints would have been there from having sat in and, and, you know, accompanied Father Ryan on on trips? Yeah, see, James's fingerprints were never found anywhere. Uh, The reason that the police, yeah, not not, not anywhere. So the, the reason that the police uh, focus on James is because they found a, a backpack in in the father's apartment, and in the backpack was a um, a photo album that had uh, all these pictures of James and his family. And what James said is that Father Ryan, when they had spent the day talking at that bar, James of course had talked about him being an Apache Indian coming from this reservation, and so he had. Uh, Father Ryan had told him, come back and visit me and bring your photo album and let's talk about what it was like growing up as an Apache. So Father Ryan seemed to be, like I say, a genuinely curious, compassionate man. And so James brought the photo album and they apparently talked about him growing up on this reservation. And at some point they were drinking and Father Ryan forced him into a sex act. James was so... Uh, uh, upset about it that he left his backpack and his photo album behind. So when the police came to Father Ryan's apartment five, six days later, they found it and that's how he became the suspect number one. James would have been a very young man back in in 1981, Mike, wouldn't he? Yeah, he was 25 or 27. Yeah. 25. And and there were issues, uh, you know, around drinking and, you know, he had had some, some mild brushes with the law. Is that fair to say? He was he was a stone-cold alcoholic. Uh, he had five what we call DWIs, driving while intoxicated, and he had been arrested some 30 times for public intoxication. James was, a, was, a, was the town drunk. And so uh, probably a very lonely and sad figure and then uh, add add to that the fact that um he had probably experienced um racism in the form against native americans and him being a gay apache native american must have meant life was pretty tough i think so that's that's the way that james talks about it james is a very sensitive guy and you know he grew up as an apache and and apaches of course are known for being brave warriors and and you know he always struggled with that as a self identity um because he was not this typical brave warrior uh he was a homosexual and he didn't have anybody to talk to about it and so he eventually started drinking because he had no friends he had no boyfriend he was terrified of being rejected, so he became this alcoholic in his 20s, and um, that had a lot to do with, with all of his troubles. And Mike, he then gets drunk one night um, and calls the police and confe- confesses to the murder of Father Ryan. Right. I mean, the police, the police investigated James, and they said there's there's no proof that he did this. They found no evidence in, in the apartment. 
that James had been or in the hotel room that James had been there. Plus, he had 11 receipts showing that he was 200 miles away at the time of the murder. So, I mean, the police said, ah, this guy has nothing to do with it. And they kept investigating. But in the meantime, James was getting more and more, you know, he didn't have a job. He was an alcoholic. And one night he was he was high on quaaludes and a lot of alcohol. And he, uh, feeling guilty about what he saw as his indirect uh, causation of the, the murder because he had hung out with the father the day before and the father had driven him to New Mexico the day of his murder. James felt so guilty that, you know, high and drunk, he called up the cops and said, I did it. And that was enough for the police to arrest him, even though he he <laughs> recanted immediately, said, no, I didn't do it. I just like to cause trouble for the police. That was enough for him to get taken into the system. And that, and then that was it, Mike. In 1983, he's convicted. He's sentenced to 38 years. He's then freed on supervised release for being a model prisoner in 1995. Uh, gets back into jail twice for parole violations. And that brings us right up now to November 2021. And what happened, Mike? Usually police departments get rid of evidence in murder cases, because the uh, when, once the appeals run out, the thought is, we don't need to keep this here. And so back in 1993, the Odessa police got rid of all the evidence in this case. And, you know, James, in the meantime, had gotten out of prison. He was he was had been paroled, but he was sent back a couple of times. And uh, one of the fascinating things about James's case is Many people have told his story over the years. Many journalists, uh, uh, several documentaries have been done on his case. And lately, there have been a lot of podcasts done on his case. And there was one that came out last year called Crime Junkie. Hi, Crime Junkies. I'm your host, Ashley Flowers. And I'm Brett. And today's story is one I kind of happened on while I was working on something completely different. And it's one of those cases that seems kind of open and shut. And it was the whole story of the murder and about Father Ryan and James Reyes. And and there were a couple of young people who listened to it in Texas. One was a young woman in Odessa and one was a young man in Bryan, which is where Texas A&M is located. And they both told their dad about this. You know, here's this guy who was convicted uh, on no evidence and he had a solid alibi. And their dad happened to be the chief of police in Odessa, Texas, where the trial had taken place, you know, many years later. Their dad is the chief of police. And so he says, well, this doesn't make any sense to me. So he goes and he gets the file pulled and he reads it. And it doesn't make any sense to him that how this guy could have been convicted 40 years before on no evidence. I believe it was probably the the late fall, early winter of of 2021, uh, the case came to our attention again. And as I was reading through the case and I got to the end and I I just felt, wow, there should be more. For this person to be convicted, I, I felt there should be more. So he tells some of his cops to look into it one of the cops goes and he actually finds some copies of some fingerprints 
that should have been destroyed back in 1993, but weren't. They run these fingerprints through a modern DNA, I mean, modern fingerprint database. And it, lo and behold, they find the fingerprints of three men, all of whom have criminal records, and one of whom had a really violent criminal record. There were holes in the case that just didn't fit. Does it make sense that there's fingerprints at the crime scene, but there, but his fingerprints aren't at the crime scene, right? There, it doesn't make sense that the the crime scene is, is pretty violent, but yet he had very minimal, there was like no injuries on Mr. Reyes. I mean, those those things just don't fit. The, the cops go to the DA, who are the, the DA are the people in Texas who prosecute the cases, and the DA was like, well, I don't know what to do about this. He had gone to law school with a woman named Allison Clayton, who is the one of the uh, people who run the Innocence Project of Texas. And he calls up Allison and says, we don't know what to do with this. Do you know what to do with this? And Allison, who has helped exonerate six men, says, I absolutely know what to do with this. Let me help this. Let me help James Reyes. From the moment I got into the substance of the case, I was wondering how on earth this man ever got convicted in the first place. So they all get together and start working together, which is very unusual in Texas. Usually the Innocence Project is fighting with the police and the district attorneys. But here, the district attorney and the police are cooperating with the Innocence Project, and they all want to see something good happen for James. It's, it's actually quite unusual. It is an incredible story. And James always pleaded his innocence, Mike. In your article, um, you write that he has the mantra, I know in my heart I did not kill Father Patrick Ryan. Yeah, he's he's written that down on a piece of paper. It's in his, excuse me, it's in his tiny little room where he lives. And it's, I mean, to me, he said those words to me several times. And it's something that he says to other people. And it's like this really emotional thing that this guy clings to. He knows he's always said he didn't do it, but he's been ignored for so long by the state of Texas that it's almost like he has to say it as a mantra. Um, but James has, has always, except for that one time when he made a drunken, you know, drugged out confession, every other time it's been, no, I didn't do it. Mike, what's the, the feeling there? Is there a sense that uh, the conviction will be overturned, that James's innocence will be properly recognised? That's very hard to say. I mean, the court system is, the court system in Texas, like in many places, is set up to not second guess, to not overturn mistakes. That's just the way legal systems are set up. Um, so you have to be very uh, practical about your expectations. What is fascinating about this case is that both we we have an adversarial system, the prosecutor and the defense. In this case, the adversarial system is a cooperative system. Both sides are working together. Um, and this case is just so obvious, you know, it was just obvious a, a, a terrible mistake was made that, you know, 
I am certainly hopeful. I'm certainly, uh, I'm certainly hopeful that his case will get turned around. But I've seen many cases that drag out for a long time in the courts because the courts are very reluctant to say, hey, we made a mistake. That's just kind of the way it is in Texas. Tell me, Mike, has there been any communication over the years from Father Ryan's family here in Dune and Limerick? I do not know the answer to that. I know that one of the things that James says is he thinks about Father Ryan and his family all the time. I'm, I know he had a brother uh, for a long I don't know if his brother is still around, but James wants to get justice for them. He says this, and I believe it. He, uh, I don't know if he's been in communication with them, though. And Mike, is there, I mean, what's your sense of, of everything that's going on there at the moment? Are we any closer to finding out who actually really killed Father Ryan? Well, you know, we're going to have to wait for the full story for you know, until the next stage. The next stage in Texas is if uh, James's lawyers have made a, have filed a writ of habeas corpus and what they would do next, if the judge agrees, is hold a hearing. And at this hearing, they would be able to bring out all the evidence that the Odessa police have. And the Odessa police have opened this now as a cold case. So they have detectives working on this exclusively. They have three men, the fingerprints of three men that they found in that motel room. Like I said, one of them has a violent history. His fingerprint was found on the cruise control knob of Father Ryan's car when it was located, as well as on a stolen credit card. There is a really good chance that if they do have a hearing, we're going to find out details on these men and, you know, maybe there are going to be other bits of evidence that tie them to that night. Um, you know, maybe an eyewitness or maybe, you know, one of them said something to a family member. Right now, all we have is fingerprints placing them in the motel. Um, so we're, you know, we don't we don't absolutely know, but everybody is very hopeful that at the next step we'll find out, we'll, we'll find out who these guys were and if, in fact, they killed Father Ryan. And my thanks to Mike Hall, Executive Editor at Texas Monthly. I'm Siobhan McGuire and today's episode of the Indo-Daily was produced and researched by myself, recorded by Gavin Hennessy with sound by John Smith, archive clips from Newswest 9, RTE and independent.ie. If you enjoy the Indo-Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.